0: Well, this morning we continue the series that we started last week titled, The Altar. If you missed this, uh, this sermon last week, I encourage you to go to our website or look us up on iTunes or some other podcast app or download our church app and, and listen to the first message in this series. The series is titled, The Altar, and it's a series about encountering God. And it's called The Altar because in the Old Testament... The altar was, was essentially a place where God's people met God. They would meet God through their sacrifices. Uh, they would uh, meet God in forgiveness. This was a place where they would find forgiveness for their sins. It was a place where they would consecrate themselves to God. In the New Testament, we have the ultimate altar, which was the cross, and the ultimate sacrifice, which was Christ's death death. On the cross. And so, as Christians, we no longer have to do what the people in the Old Testament did, which was to offer animal sacrifices. But because Jesus paid the ultimate price, because he was the ultimate sacrifice on the ultimate altar, the cross, then what we do now is we offer our lives as not animal sacrifices, but we offer our lives as living sacrifices to God, as Paul says in Romans 12. And this whole series really is based out of a verse in the Old Testament in Isaiah 19.19. We read this last week. Isaiah 19.19 says, and it's a prophecy that Isaiah made, which came to pass and and is still coming to pass, even as we speak. But Isaiah 19.19 reads like this. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. Now that phrase, when I, when I read this this chapter and was reading this this passage, that phrase just jumped out at me. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt. Egypt was an enemy of Israel during the days of Moses. That's why this is so significant. Not only were, were the Egyptians enemies of the Israelites, the people of God, but it, Egypt at this time was... In fact, this is described in the same chapter 19 of Isaiah, was a a place of of a lot of sin. Sin was rampant. There was a lot of despair. People's lives were broken. There was a lot of pride. People weren't looking to God, trying to do their own thing. And all this brought about this terrible and debilitating drought. The natural resources were, were very scarce. In fact, Isaiah in this prophecy describes Egypt at this time as a drunkard staggering around, in his vomit, that's not a very good description of anybody and, and of this country, of this situation—a drunkard staggering around in his vomit. And then Isaiah says, "But it, right in the heart of that, there's going to be an altar, not to some pagan gods, because a pagan god, because there were altars to pagan gods at that time. But in the middle of a drunkard staggering around in his vomit, there's going to be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt." And I said to you last week that Egypt is not unlike our current condition here, our current society, our current culture. In fact, it's not very unlike, it's not unlike our very own community here in San Angelo and the Concho Valley. Because back then, Egypt was a godless society. And we see a lot of that being expressed here in our own community. The, the status of our own society is increasingly godless. We, we live in the middle of a society that accepts sin... Even the most perverse sin as normal and acceptable. And even a society that celebrates this sin. And so we're, we could say we're in Egypt today. Some of what we see in, in our society, in our culture, we could describe the way Egypt was described in the Old Testament as the drunkard stagging around in his vomit. But just like in Egypt... I believe that God is calling us today to build an altar in the middle of this sinful world. So our big idea throughout this series, it's a four-part series. We've got uh, this week and then two more weeks. And our big idea throughout this series is this. San Angelo needs an altar, a place to meet God. And God is calling us to build it. Because I believe that we as a church are to provide a place For people to meet God. This is our calling as a church. To help people find God. Not in the sense of of finding something that's missing. Something that's lost. But in the sense of discovering God. When you find something, you discover something. Meeting God. Experiencing the love of God and His power. I believe we're called to build an altar in San Angelo. I believe we need to be altar builders. Because people in our city need an altar. In fact... An altar is really the one thing that our church can offer San Angelo. Our church, we, we, we can't offer San Angelo great facilities or a lot of resources, or lots of money. But we can offer an altar, a place to meet God. If we're not offering an altar to San Angelo as a church, then what are we offering? Without an altar, we have nothing else of eternal value to offer. Now, when I say that we need to build an altar a place where people can meet God. I'm referring to an opportunity, to an invitation to come to Jesus. Certainly our church, as I said, can be and should be an altar. But even our lives, our individual lives can be altars in San Angelo to God where people can see us and say, I want what he has or I want what she has, where they're drawn to God because of our lives. And that's what I want to speak about today. Last week we spoke about the altar of repentance. Today I want to speak about the altar of holiness. And I want to abase this message today in First Peter 1, if you would turn in your Bibles with me to First Peter 1, beginning with verse 13. First Peter's in the, the New Testament toward the end of, of the New Testament, toward the end of the Bible. We have First Peter and uh, verse 13 reads like this: "Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, 20 years ago this week, some of you will recall that a big news story broke here in our country. And it had to do with our president at that time having an affair while in office with a 21-year-old intern. That happened 20 years ago this week. And although the president initially denied it, eventually, as we know, the truth came out. And then later that year, he was impeached by the House of Representatives and uh, the Senate didn't impeach him. So he remained in office. But uh, throughout, throughout that year, um, as this was going on, I think there was a, a shift in the culture of our country that continues even today. In fact... I was uh, coming out of the, during those days, I was coming out of the post office, one, t- post office one, one day. And I was stopped by a TV reporter. And I should have turned and gone the other way. But I, I kept walking. And so she stopped me. She had a microphone. There was a cameraman. And she asked if I would answer a few questions. And uh, again, maybe I should have said no. But I, I apparently I said yes because she asked me some questions. And she asked about President Clinton. And and her question was this: I remember she said, "Do you think that he should be disbarred?" You know, he was an attorney. Should he lose his law license? Should he be disbarred for his offenses? You know, he had this affair. He lied to the country. He lied to the grand jury. He was actually impeached because of perjury and uh, and obstruction of justice. So her question was, "Should he be disbarred?" Well, I'm not an attorney. I don't know. And I told her, you know, I don't know if, if that's a disbarable offense. But I, I said, I do think that he needed to maintain a standard of decency. He didn't do that. I think that he, needs, he needed to ho- uphold a standard of, of good behavior and decency. And he didn't do that. And we all need to do that. You know, that was that. So a few days later, might have been even the next day, I ran into a person that I knew only superficially. I didn't know her well. I knew she was a Christian. She was a faithful churchgoer and uh, she worked with the school district, which I was working for the district at the time. And when she saw me, she came over to me. She couldn't wait to talk to me, and she lit into me. She was so mad at me. I hardly knew this lady. Turned out she had seen my interview on the news, and, and she was not happy. She was an ardent supporter of the president, and she was mad because of what I said, that I said that he needed to live up to standards of decency. And her comment to me, I'll never forget what she told me, Her comment to me was, all men do that. It's no big deal. I did tell her, I don't do that. I didn't say much else because I was so shocked by her reasoning. I was surprised that she was angry at me. Like I said, I hardly knew her. And by her reasoning, all men do that. It's no big deal. And then she said this, besides what does his personal conduct have to do with him leading our country? That's his personal behavior. That doesn't affect how he leads our country. Oh my, it shocked me. It shocked me. And I feel like that idea has only gotten stronger because now we have people who, who condemned those actions by the president then, agreeing to actions by a president today. And they agree to actions, that, words that he says, and they say, well, it's no big deal because of the Supreme Court. You know, he's given us good judges. And so we're lowering our standards. We're in a crisis in this country And we're in a crisis in the church. It's a crisis of holiness. Or maybe a crisis of a lack of holiness. And it just seems to be more evident each year. Now, what is holiness? Well, holiness, simply put, is to be set apart for God. It's to be set apart for God. Holiness is to understand that, that there, is, there is something that, that is evil or something that is good. And we choose what is good. Holiness doesn't mean we're perfect or we think we're perfect. Holiness is not holier than thou. I think I'm better than you because I go to church. That's not holiness. In fact, that, that's, that's the opposite of holiness. That's being judgmental. And that's not what we're called to. But we are called to holiness. When, when God told Israel to be holy in Leviticus 11 and Leviticus 19 as well... God told Israel, Be holy, for I am holy. He was instructing them to be different from the other nations. He was giving them specific regulations that they were to follow, things that were to govern their lives. He gave them standards to live by, so that the world would know that they were different, that they belonged to God. There had to be a difference. And so when, when Peter repeats these words from Leviticus in the passage we just read in 1 Peter 1.16... When, when Peter tells the, the, the Christians, uh, it is written, be holy because I am holy. He was telling them, you need to be set apart from the world. You be to, you need to be set apart for God. So it's, a, it's being set apart in, in two aspects. We're set apart from the world and we're set apart for a purpose to serve God. Our lives are to be lived for God. In other words, we're... We're living by God's standards, not by the world's standards. How many of you know that there's a difference between God's standards and the world's standards? And we have a choice to make. We live by the standards of this world, by what everybody else does and believes and says, and how they dress and how they talk and their relationships. Or do we, or do we live by the standards of God that are found in God's Word? So holiness is not that God is calling us to be perfect. God's holiness is perfection. But our holiness is not a calling to be perfect. It's simply a calling to be, to be different from the world. That's what it is. Distinct from the world. In fact, the very next chapter, we read 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 2. Paul describes us as Christians as a holy nation. We are a holy nation. We're separated from the world. We need to live out that reality in our day-to-day lives. So we're called to holiness. And our calling to holiness... It's simply an invitation to, to participate in the holiness of God. Not Again, not so much to, to think that we're going to become holy the way God is holy. Because God is perfect. We're not being called to sinless perfection. But our invitation to holiness is simply to walk that path of holiness that God has offered to us. When He invites us to be holy, He's given us a path. He's given us a pattern. He's given us standards to follow. And we're saying, okay, I want to follow this path. I want to walk this road. I want to live by these standards. I uh, had so many options when it came to preaching this series, so many passages of Scripture uh, that I could have chosen. But I landed on this passage because I think it explains some things that I I want to go through today. Beginning as we go back to verse 13 where he says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, with minds that are alert and fully sober, And the first thing that he writes in this passage, Peter writes to us, is that we are then to prepare our minds and to be fully alert, to be fully sober. He's talking about our minds. In other words, I believe he's telling us that holiness begins with our thoughts. Here's the first big truth this morning. To be holy, we must guard our thoughts. To be holy, we must guard our thoughts. God is inviting us to holiness. He's opening up the the pathway. And it starts for us to walk this pathway with guarding our thoughts. Because what you think determines how you live. I'm reading a book right now called Your Best Year Ever. Your Best Year Ever. Last year I took a course by the same name, by the same author. It was a video course. And it was very good. And, and it's about setting goals and accomplishing things and finding freedom in, in our daily living in terms of uh, productivity. It's written by a man who's a Christian. But the first thing he says, the very first lesson, the first chapter is, you, if, if you want to have a good year, you have to change your thinking. You've got to get rid of your negative thinking. Oh, this is going to be just like last year. Oh, why do I make resolutions? They're all... You know, exercise and futility. Ah, oh, you know, if you, if you start thinking negative, negatively, you're never going to accomplish anything good. So you first start by changing your thinking. Because what you think determines how you live. One of the most practical things I can tell you this morning about how to live the Christian life, how to live holy. One of the most practical things I can tell you is this. Deal with temptation at the thought level. Deal with sin, deal with temptation at the thought level. Judge the, the wicked thoughts that you get, that we all get. You judge those things the instant you have them, you confess them to God and you replace them with godly thoughts of of him and of his word. Because what happens is we get these thoughts, the enemy tempts us, every one of us, with Thoughts, And we begin to dwell on those things instead of judging them right now, right then, instead of cutting those things off right away, instead of confessing those to God that we've dwelled on them, we, we continue to dwell. And then eventually what happens is they go from a thought to an action. So if, if you see somebody and you're envious of them, you're jealous of them because they look great or they got a new car and you need a new car or whatever, then if you have a thought of envy, then you judge it right away, confess it, ask God to forgive you and ask God to help you replace it with with love for that person, with concern for that person instead of envy. Deal with temptation at the thought level. If you see a person of the opposite sex and you lust after them, if you lust after them, then deal with that immediately. Confess that at the thought level. Flee from it both mentally and mentally and physically. Because to be holy, we must guard our thoughts. Here's what Paul says to the Corinthians in Second Corinthians 10, 3. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. By the way, he's, he's making a contrast between the way we do things and the way the world does things. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not Uh, fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And here it is. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. He says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Take control over your thought life. Take every evil thought captive Turn it around and make it obedient to Christ. Because that's, it's at the thought level that your Christianity is either real or it's fake. It's at the thought level. You can fool people by the things you say. You can fool them, make them think that you're a Christian, a follower of Christ. But God knows your thoughts. If you're faking it, if you're not cultivating a holy thought life, then sooner or later it comes out. Sooner or later, it comes out in the open in some form of sin that everyone can see. In fact, there isn't anyone who ever committed a sin, say a sin of adultery. There isn't anyone who ever committed a sin of adultery without first entertaining that thought in his mind or her mind. So you need to guard your mind, guard what enters your mind as carefully as you guard what you eat. How many, how many of you are careful what you eat? Right? Most of the time, <laughs> try to be careful what we eat. And 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 for some reason the things that are unhealthy taste so good. My wife and I bought some. See, I I didn't say I bought this. My wife and I bought some buñuelos at a panadería. Two buñuelos. That oh, I want I want one. But I ate a little bit of it. I cut off a little because it was pretty big and you know it was pretty good. I ate a little bit and went back and sat down and it stayed there till the next day. I got a little bit more and. You know, it took me um, almost a week, but I finished it a little bit at a time. Right? I think I finished more than one. I think I ate half of hers, too. You know, because uh, it's just it's so appealing. But, but I try to be careful what I eat, and I think a lot of you do, too. Most of us do. And we wouldn't think of eating garbage or, or things from the garbage can or things from the gutter. You wouldn't think of picking something up that's been sitting out there under the hot sun and just eating it. But if you aren't as careful with what you feed your mind, then you're, you're hurting yourself even, even worse than eating something unhealthy for your physical body because you're hurting your soul. If you feed your thoughts daily on the sensual things that are on TV, on the materialistic things that are on TV or you know, movies or any other media, music, whatever it might be, social media, you feed yourself on things that hurt you then you're going to struggle to achieve the holiness that God is calling us to live. I read a a, a tweet on um, this week on Twitter from John Piper, who's a pastor, author, and he tweeted this, and it, it got my attention. He, he said, "Why are so many people in the church so worldly?" That's a good question. Why have we become so worldly as a church? Why are so many people in the church so worldly? Then he answers it. Because they devote 99% of their attention to the world and 1% to God's Word. Makes sense. You know They say, you are what you eat. Well, you are what you feed your mind. And if we spent the majority of our day listening to music and, and things... Uh, on social media and movies and this and that and things of the world and naturally naturally we're going to become worldly that that totally makes sense and 1% Sunday morning we might open up the bible at the beginning of the sermon but then that's it i mean we close it we don't maybe it's even less than 1% of our week is devoted to god's word why don't we turn that around What if we filled our thoughts with God's word? What if we listened intently to what God is speaking to us? What if we spent daily time in the scriptures to start the day or or at night? And what if we listened to godly music, music that stirs our heart toward God? Would that make a difference? I think so. I think it would. Because to be holy, we have to guard our thoughts. Secondly, this passage tells us that to to be holy, we must look forward to Jesus' return. Let us not lose hope that Jesus is coming again. He came one time as a baby. He's coming back, folks. He's going to come back to earth. He's going to come back. Before He comes back to earth to touch His feet on the earth, He will do that. Before that, He's going to come to rapture his church. He's going to come in the clouds. He's going, to, he's going to take us with him. And let's not lose sight of that. And let us remember that he's coming for a church that is, the Bible says, without spot or wrinkle. Without spot or wrinkle. That is a holy church. And to be holy, we've got to keep that in mind. We've got to look forward forward. To the fact that Jesus is coming back. And He's coming back. Not for everybody. But only for those. Without spot or wrinkle. His children. Who have walked in holiness. Through their life. John the Apostle wrote. Three letters. And in his first letter. 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. He wrote this. Dear friends. Now we are children of God. And what what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, and he's talking about when Jesus returns, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All right, So that's what he's talking about, the, the return of Jesus. And look at verse 3. All who have this hope in him, what hope is he talking about? The hope that he's coming back. All who have this hope in him purify themselves Just as He is pure. So the hope of Jesus' return is what keeps us pure. The hope He's talking about is His second coming. The knowledge that He's returning soon motivates us to live holy lives. Some of you have heard me tell this story. When I was a sophomore in high school, there came a point in time during that school year where I was convinced that Jesus was going to come back that weekend, that weekend, I, I just, things I'd been reading on the news, uh, current events that had been happening, I was trying to line them up with prophesying the scripture and I won't go into all the details as to what I was reading and why I thought, but I, I read some things, things were happening, I thought, this has got to be the day, this is the weekend. I was so convinced that on Friday, as I was leaving my chemistry class, I told my chemistry teacher, Mrs. Adams, I told her, I won't be here Monday. And I was thinking about the rapture. I really was. I told her, I won't be here Monday. And she says, oh, really, why not? I said, I just won't. I didn't tell her because I'm going to be in heaven and you're not. I didn't say that. <laughs> she was a nice lady. But I, didn't, I just said, I'm just not, I'm not. But I really was thinking, this is it. This is a weekend. And all that weekend, I was expecting the trumpet to sound and for Jesus to, to return and I'd get up and read them Saturday morning, read the paper. What's going on? And Greece had just joined the European Common Market, the 10th nation to do it. I thought, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. But my point is that throughout that weekend, you think I was living right? You better believe it because I thought, I want to be ready, Lord. I want to be ready. And see what, what John is saying? That's how we should live. He's coming. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. We know He's coming. We've got to be ready. We've got to walk in holiness. Now, Peter writes specifically, if you look at, at, at that phrase, about focusing on the grace, on the grace that will be completed in us when Jesus returns. Now, we, we're thankful for God's grace today. God's grace is, is empowering. Is empowering to live holy, to live holy lives. We need God's grace today to live holy. Because we're not holy in and of ourselves. It's not like I have have the, the power to overcome sin by myself. I don't. But God enables us to do that. It's a work of God that finds fulfillment as we obey God. But God's grace is not just to get us started on the road to holiness. God's grace is meant to take us to that final day when Jesus comes back. He didn't just set us on the road and say, okay, hope you make it. But He set us on the road to holiness and He gives us His grace. And that grace finds its fulfillment at the return of Jesus. That's why we look ahead to the completion of that work. Because God promised to complete the work that He started in us when He saved us. Now we're looking ahead to the completion of that work at the second coming of Jesus. That's why we look ahead to that grace that will bring to completion the work of God. When Jesus returns. So don't stop thinking about the fact that Jesus is coming back. Be ready. If you're not ready, get ready today. He's coming back for those who have kept themselves holy. Without spot or wrinkle. Set apart for Him. And then in verse 14. We read this. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, the evil desires Peter writes about are the evil desires of the past. When he says, when you lived, past tense, right? When you lived in ignorance. Some translations say your former lusts, or your former desires. So the, the point is this. To be holy, we must break from our past lifestyle. We must break from our past lifestyle. One of the reasons that people struggle with holiness is that they may accept Jesus into their hearts. They may receive Jesus into their lives and say, I want, to live, I want to live for you, God. But they never make a break with their past lifestyle. They continue to try to live the way they were living. They just want to add Jesus to what they were doing. But Jesus isn't interested in just being added to what you're doing. He, he wants to come over and be Lord over your whole life and to give you a new life. So to be holy, we've got to break from our past lifestyle. What are some of these Evil desires of the past that Peter talks about. I want to take you through a passage. And if you would read with me, because this is going to be several verses. And I don't want you to get bored as we read this. So look at Ephesians Ephesians four twenty-five. I want to take you through several verses that, and there are many others, but we're going to just focus on this passage. Verses that explain to us what some of the evil desires of the past are. Things that we've got to break from. So here's what Paul says to the Ephesians. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Okay, so we're going to put off lying. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So we're going to put off anger. You know people who just get enraged at even the least important things? That gives the devil a foothold. We're going to get rid of that. That's in the past now. Verse 28, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So if you were stealing, stop stealing. That's in the past. Verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. All right, so we're not going to... Uh, use profane language. Profanity is a thing of the past, folks. That's a thing of the past. That's not a sign of a believer. That's not a sign of a follower of Christ who wants to lead a holy life. Verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. See, these are things of the past. Rage, anger, brawling, slander, Along with every form of malice, be kind, and then he gives it to us in a positive way. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. So forgiving each other is new. Not forgiving somebody, I'll never forgive her for what she did. Or I forgive, but I never forget. You know what? That's a thing of the past. To be holy, we've got to make a break from those things of the past. Look at chapter 5, verse 3, Ephesians 5, 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. Or of any kind of impurity. Or of greed. Because these are improper for God's, what? Holy people. These are improper. They're not compatible. Sexual immorality, even a little bit of sexual immorality, impurity, greed. Those things are incompatible with God's holy people. Verse 4, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. All those are things, just a, a little example of things that are in the past when we come to Christ. We've got to make a break with those things. To be holy, you've got to break with the things of the past, with your past lifestyle. And you make a break from all these things by simply obeying God's word. Did you notice how verse 14, we're back to 1 Peter 1, how Peter began verse 14. He says, as obedient children, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Did you notice that? As obedient children. We, we do that simply by obeying God's word. We have the pattern. We have the path of holiness in the Bible. We just got to read it and obey it. Obedience. See, some people don't obey because they hate to be told what to do. I don't want to be told what to do. Nobody can tell me I can't go here or go there or hang out here. I do whatever I want. Well, that's fine. But you're going to find it hard to please God. You're going to find it hard to see God. Because the Bible says that without, without holiness, no one can see God. So yeah, you can, you can go ahead and say it. Nobody tells me what to do, but I think we, we'd rather choose to simply obey God's Word. Just do it. I remember reading many years ago a story of a, an elderly lady who was trying to give her dog... Her dog was sick, apparently, and she was trying to give him some castor oil. She decided... Castor oil takes care of everything, right? So she she put it in a spoon, and she's trying to feed this castor oil to the dog. Of course, the dog is resisting. She can't hold him long enough, hold his head long enough to put the oil in his mouth. And so eventually, with all the struggling, the castor oil spilled on the floor. And as soon as it spilled, the dog went over and just lapped it all up. I think sometimes we're like the dog. We hate to be told what to do. They say, they just leave me alone, I'll take it myself. You know, you don't have to be that way. Just obey God's Word. There's a difference between a life without Christ and a life in Christ because there's a difference between the world and the church. And so, we're not attempting to, to build a wall between the church and culture, but simply an understanding that we're set apart, we're different. And sometimes we fight against that. When I was in junior high, I was walking home with two friends of mine. One friend of mine and one other guy didn't really know that well. And uh, as I was walking home. We were walking home. I was probably 7th or 8th grade. And and my friend's name was Sam. Remember him well. Sam Singletary. The other guy, I don't remember who the other guy was. But he was, I don't know. I didn't know much about him. He, walking along, the second guy took out a cigarette and started smoking. Just lit up the cigarette. My friend Sam stopped him and said, Hey, hey. Don't smoke in front of him, points to me. Don't smoke in front of him. He goes to church. You know, That's all it was. It wasn't like I, I went around telling people, don't smoke in front of me. They just uh, These are all kids I grew up with and knew my dad was a pastor and we were a Christian family. And that's all he said. Don't smoke in front of him. He goes to church. You know what that guy did? He put it away. Oh, sorry. You know, we're not trying to say we're better than others. We're just trying to say we're different because we're called to be different. But here's the final thing I want to tell you. Ultimately, living in holiness simply means following the pattern that God has given us. He said, be holy because I am holy. Be imitators of God. Holiness in the last analysis is becoming like God. It's conforming to His character. But it's not something we can do by ourselves. And this is what I need you to understand. We can't do this by ourselves. Leonard Ravenhill said this, and I'm going to finish with this. He said, The greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an an unholy man or woman out of an unholy world and make him holy and then put him back into that unholy world and keep him holy in it. Now think about that. The fact that we have young people who made it through junior high and high school and college and didn't lose their faith, that's a miracle. That's an act of God. That's what God does. And so I don't want you to think, okay, I'm going to try to live for God and I'm going to try real hard. No, you don't have to try in your own strength. Ask God to help you. Ask God to help you. San Angelo needs an altar of holiness. St. Angelo needs someone, someone to raise up a standard of right living. My question is, will you build that altar? You may say, well, Pastor, how do I build the altar? Well, first of all, if you've never given your life to the Lord, then you start right there by saying, Lord, I, I renounce my past. My past is my past. I let it go. I renounce my past, and I turn to you. I receive you into my life, into my heart as my Savior, my Lord, Master of my life. And I ask you to come and change me. The Bible says that when we're in Christ, we become new creations. The old is passed away. Everything is made new. So that's the first thing we ask God to make us new, to save us. How do we build an altar? If you're already a follower of Christ, then simply decide today you're going to start obeying God's word. As obedient children, do not conform to your former lust, to your former desires, evil desires of the past. So we start by saying, Lord, I I realize I'm supposed to be different. Here I am, hanging out with everybody else. I'm supposed to be different. Oh, I didn't finish the story. Sam Singletary told the other guy, don't smoke in front of him. And the other guy put it away, put it out. And then I said, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. And that still bothers me today. Because I, I wanted so much to be accepted. Like, instead, of, instead of saying, hey, thanks. You know, I, I didn't want to say I'm, I'm better than you. But instead of acknowledging that they knew that I was different, I try to bridge that gap between us. Don't try to bridge the gap. We're called to be holy, for God is holy.